Hi, this is Aaron Asrod, and welcome to the 86th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Where I last left off with Kenny, we were discussing if we as humans had the willpower to break the social conditioning, which encompasses the inability to escape endless TV watching, passive styles of child rearing, and an obsession with the material world. We discussed that one of the biggest catalyst for change was a severe trauma or emotional breakdown, which forces the individual to have to confront the facade, which is their life. However, when talking about possible ways to remedy the pernicious social conditioning, which has overtaken our society, we dived into the corruption of institutions and perhaps even the psychological establishment itself. A question that remains at the root of solving this quagmire that humanity now faces is whether or not the very nature of human beings can be changed from evil to good. Joining me to help find light at the end of this rabbit hole of despair, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, I'm really hoping that we emerge out of this hole and we are surrounded by light and carrots and not the barrel of a shotgun. (laughs) I hope so too, Aaron. I hope so too. I think that it's, you know, it's very possible for humans to change. I think that it's very possible for corrupt, unkind, mean, uncertain, you know, um, people who are, how you say, very, very dark to become different, to become more light, to become more uh, generous, to become less, you know, less selfish and so forth. So I do believe that people can change. Absolutely. I, I think it's come to a point where being Machiavelli and just setting up like systems. Like I, I think one of the um, ideas behind both communism and capitalism is that I think both systems kind of fundamentally believe that there's a inherent evilness about human nature, right? Like, and this goes back to like Thomas Hobbes, who also believes this, that like human beings are fundamentally evil. And the only way to get human beings to be good is to kind of trick them into like consequences and rewards, right? So I think capitalism kind of focuses in on that where it's like, okay, everyone's really, really selfish. Everyone's really, really, really greedy. And the only way that we can get good out of this bad behavior is by having like a a strong system of carrots and rewards. Like, okay, if you take your greediness and channel it into making new iPhones or something, you, you will be rewarded. And, and, and so forth. And, and this even goes back to ancient China. I think the idea of legalism even stresses this idea of like really, really, really sh- for a society to be just, it needs really strong rewards and it needs really harsh consequences for those who don't fall in line. But none of these systems actually address the fundamental issue of human nature, which I think is the greater danger. Yeah, um, that's the thing. I, I, I don't think... A lot of people don't understand human nature. I mean, and they, people, they, they might say that, oh, humans, humans, human nature is pretty bad or human nature is pretty good. But I, I, I lean towards, I lean more towards the, uh, the idea that human nature is pretty bad. Well, the problem is that most people don't really know just how bad it can be. And because they don't know how bad it can be, they underestimate it. And they think that it's going to be very shallow things that change it. So, you know, reward and punishments. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you've been to any high school, you know that certain students get to a place where punishments don't mean anything anymore. Oh, yes. human sci- oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You yeah. tell me about it, my friend. Ten years. The ago, human- I figured that in you know, my ten years, <laughs> if there's one thing I learned in ten years of teaching, it's just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's not just high school students. It's, I mean, it's the majority of the world. That's why we have prisons. And prisons have, prisons have existed for a very long time, yet they continue to be in existence mm-hmm. because people, a lot of people just don't care. They're like, you know what? I'll go in for a couple of years. Sure. You know, whatever. It comes to a place where the human mind weighs his desire versus the negative outcome of that desire and says, in other words, I don't care. There, there, you know, and it's funny. I just did an episode about um, the prison system, about about justice with uh, with, with with a guy by the name of Luke, mm. and we actually had, you know, the conversation essentially at the end of the tunnel 
boil down to are some members of our society completely incorrigible. Like they cannot be redeemed. They, there's no way for them to actually enter, re-enter, like they have to be in prison for life and there's just no way. I'm starting to think that it's a, a small percentage. Like I'm, I, I always use my classroom analogy, okay? So when you're a teacher in New York City, the average classroom has about 34 kids, right? It's a huge number, ridiculously high. Of those 34 kids, it's always roughly about this approximation, roughly this like bell curve distribution. I would say that you always have about three or, you know, about maybe three kids or so that are always good, always pure hearted, always good. No matter how much chaos surrounds the classroom, they are always doing the right thing. They are always fundamentally good. That is their nature. You have three kids that are fundamentally bad, no matter how great the teacher is, no matter how wonderful the environment is, they, they are just inherently corrupted and there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no candy, there's no, there's no funny jokes, there's no like engaging videos, nothing is going to save those kids. And the rest of us are kind of like stuck there in the middle and whichever force is more powerful, the good force is more powerful than the sheep or the rest of the the cat you know the rest of the cattle will just follow the good force if the evil force is stronger in that classroom then all the sheep just kind of go in that direction so i i think that you know it's sad that most people are just sheep but at the same time it's positive that they can be either pushed in the good or in the bad direction and that's only a few outliers that remain fundamentally fixed at one of the uh, polar ends of the stick yeah, I mean, it's, that's, this is, yeah, it, it's the way of life. I mean, one of the, uh, I, I usually use high school for, you know, for an example of how life works, because a lot of life begins in high school, and a lot of high school traditions or high school mannerisms are very reflective of the, you know, adult world, of the work working world, of the yes. uh, world at large. And so I, I think that it's very much like that on on a larger on, on, on a larger scale. Yeah, let's let, let's think about that larger scale for a moment, okay? And maybe mm -hmm. the only way that we can make sense of this is we can we have to compare moments in history where humanity was at its worst and when humanity was at its best, okay? worst obviously like nazi germany or something very easy right like we always we can find easy when would we say that humanity was at its best the greeks athens like i'm wondering when exactly we could point at, at the history book and be like yes that's when we were the most well behaved that's when we were like the most um we, we were living at our highest self I'm, I'm wondering if you could help me with this a little bit I, I don't think that's a possibility because if you say the Nazis were, we were at our worst, mm -hmm. then I'll also say that we were at our best because in every, if human nature doesn't change, if human, if, if human nature is constant in that, you know, it's, 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 this, it's a certain way everywhere. This means that we're simultaneously in any generation at our worst and at our best. Mm -hmm. because every human being has the capacity and here's the thing people people love to we, we 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 love to pick on you know people like stalin or hitler or you know pol pot but every human being has that capacity they have that capacity in them it's a simply a matter of choice you can say oh i'm disgusted by it sure Sure. Okay. But question now is when push comes to shove, who are you? In fact, the fact that you're disgusted by it shows something about you, shows something similar. It shows something that, um, how you say, similar in you that is, how you say, in the same agent that you're disgusted by. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because they were all disgusted by something that they tried to destroy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my, 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 my point is, humanity is always at its best and at its worst so when you have people who are like how you say the 
Mother, Mother Teresa's. Oh my goodness, we have the Mother Teresa's. We have the Gandhi's. We have the, um, and these people. Um, we we love to say that you know they were perfect. They weren't perfect. Everybody, if you dig, if you dig deep enough, everybody has a skeleton. No somewhere doubt. Yeah, yeah. In their I, closet. I, like I heard that Gandhi cheated on his wife and things like that. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean it's it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love the man, but you know, like well, he's not perfect. <laughs> yes, that that's 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 how the world works. I'm wondering, like, okay, I, I agree with you that the these like malevolent and good forces are with us at all times, right? They're, they're basically encrusted into our nature. I'm wondering what makes a society embrace a Hitler at a given point and what makes a society embrace a Gandhi at a given point? Because I, I think that, yes, the, the capacities and the potentials are all there. I'm wondering what sequence of events or what things have to happen to our society where we're like, yes, this evil person speaks my inner truth or you know, on the other end of the coin, oh, this really good virtuous person speaks my inner truth. I'm wondering, how, how does society get like primed to listen to a very evil person or gets primed to listen to a really good person? From the very moments we are born, from the very moments we we're born, because I mean, the same thing is happening. It's happening right now all the time because we don't see things. We love to see things in good and evil when, how you say, when it's beneficial to us. And it's always, you know, the things we hate naturally are obviously evil and the things we love and approve are the good things. Mm -hmm. Human beings are naturally biased. You know what I mean? We have blind spots and we love to hide those blind spots. And so the same people followed Hitler for the same reason they followed Gandhi, because they, he, how do you say, because he related to something in them that they, um, that they wanted. He, he basically, they basically pointed to something everybody wanted and people said, yeah, we want that. You know what I mean? And he was the, he was the one who was willing to step, they were the ones who were willing to step up and lead the people towards this thing to make those sacrifices, quote unquote, you know? Let me ask you this question, right? And I don't know if this is, if there's good, any good examples of this in history that I, that come to mind right now. Let's just say you have like a Germany, right? Mm. And let's say you have two men. One is the evil Hitler. And let's just pretend that there's like an equivalent to Hitler, like an equivalent in goodness. Okay. And let's say both of them are equal in their charisma, equal in their eloquence, and they both have things to offer that society wants. What ultimately determines whether they give into what bad Hitler wants or what like, you know, the a good equivalent is offering? Because I, I, I think that like, and I don't think it's ever, I'm living in a very, very, very like abstract, like mathematical, hypothetical world right now, right? There's probably, yeah. it's never, it's never that clean cut. But I'm supposing if there were equal forces of good and evil simultaneously fighting each other, what determines which way society is going to bend? Whichever one stays alive the longest, whichever one, whichever one, they're, they're, the both opponents are going to face each other. One, one of them is definitely going to have to take, take the other one out one way or the other. It's a matter, this is, comes back to that, the, the whole idea of the survival of the fittest, because at the end of the day, someone's got to give, you can't have two captains on one ship. Right. And so whoever, whoever takes the center stage, either by, you know, um, manipulation, either by, you know, um, his wits, either by violence, is going to be the one that everybody else bows to. And see, now that's now this is something that that historians kind of grapple with, and it's actually something that really frightens them a lot because you know some historians would be like, well, it's natural for the evil dude to use violence, right? Like the the evil dude is not going to bat an eye about using violence to get what they want. Yeah. then the good person is going to be reluctant to use violence. And then history is going to be like, oh, well, that's that's the uh, that's the strong destroying the weak right there. Evil guy wins <laughs> because, you know, and, and we've discussed previously on this program that good is not weak. Like, I think we're both in agreement about that, right? Like the Absolutely. good man is ultimately the stronger. I'm wondering what happened. You know, I'm wondering if we look back at history and we see those examples of where you had an evil force that was willing to use violence and a good force that was not willing to use violence, you know, why exactly didn't the good prevail in that, in, in that instance? 
because the, there's a if if let's just say that this is a hype. Um, un, unfortunately, my history is not very how you say um, up to snuff, so I don't know any any. Um, I can't recall or bring to mind any specific you know situation that that occurred like this. So, in your hypothetical world, let's say that okay, it's it's a question of violence because usually people think that violence is wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, no, wrong violence is wrong. There's a right kind of violence. And he, he, this is where I have to be careful because this is interesting. Yeah, because there's there is there is a there is a right kind of violence. Now, the only reason that we took out Hitler was because we believed in the right kind of violence. I like I like your theory actually. No, this is actually really good because the British I'll give you up I I I'm I'm okay with history. So there's two examples of British imperialism. The first one that we were talking about was with Gandhi, right? And they, you know, they were colonizing India and Gandhi used nonviolence, right? And then he was able to overthrow, he was able to use nonviolence and overthrow the British who were using bad forms of violence. Before Gandhi, however, there was the American Revolution where George Washington, Jefferson, and all these other folks used violence to combat violence, right? So that that's an example of like, like this, they achieved the same goal, like both the Americans and then many years later, in the Indians wanted the British the hell out of their country, right? We both had the same objective, like get the hell out of here, you and your your tea and, you know, putting your pinky up when you drink tea and your taxes and all, get, get, the, get the heck out of here, right? Americans yeah. used violence to get the British out of their country and the Indians used nonviolence to get the British out of their country. So... It, it, you know, it's like history can kind, can kind of be like contradictory in that way, where sometimes if the good is not using violence, they're too weak and then the evil subsumes them. And then in other cases, yeah. there is a way for the good to use nonviolence and win. So, uh, you know, I, I wish I wish history had more more definitive patterns, but unfortunately it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you, you, it's, you can't make doctrine out of history. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you just can't. Because all kinds, it's beautiful because it's, it's, it teaches you in a different kind of way, you know? Um, So I I think that a lot of, there are a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different kinds of governments, a lot of different kinds of movements and whoever is capable of doing, you know, the right thing in the right way, let them, let them do it, you know, but whoever is hopefully, hopefully they, they get, they get the, the justice or the, the desire that they set out to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, I think it has a lot to do though. And when, when I, when I say priming, I think the way that in my world, right. The way I'm thinking about this is I think that the way the, the like, I, I think whether, whether a society will choose evil versus good has to do first with the culture that is surrounding that society. If it's a yeah. health, if it's a healthy moral culture, then I think that, like, I think having a moral culture is actually the best. It's like the body's immune system in a way from from yeah. evil, basically. So if you have a moral culture that's that's moral at every level of society from father to son, from mother to daughter, from teacher to to student and so forth. If there's a high level of morality that pervades every single layer of that society, that society will be at a a much stronger level to resist evil. However, if if each of those layers has been corrupted, then that society becomes more susceptible. It's kind of like, it's it's basically like when every layer of society has been corrupted, that's essentially going outside in the pouring rain getting your socks drenched and, and your shirt drenched and and then and then getting sick basically like you've already put yourself in a compromised state where you're more likely to get sick no i think that's a wicked example yeah I, <laughs> it is it really is um and i think you're right it there there is a society needs to have some and a great deal really of a specific or high moral moral standard, because if if that's not the case, if that's not the case, anyone, any kind of unkind, any kind of you know malicious, malevolence ruler or 
um, agents could, you know, swoop in and uh, and have his way with them. Mm. Um, and especially, I mean, with with all kinds of ideas, with all kinds of philosophies, with all kinds of political, you know, movements and so forth. And it's it, it is it is it is a matter of it is a matter of having some moral standard, some and a high moral standard amongst the people. Um, this is this is a, this is that that's that's a safeguard. Yeah. Yes, because, you know, a, a lot of people will will be like, oh, man, we live in the era of Trump or the era of Biden. What, what, pick your poison. I don't really care. But I'm like, well, we live in the era of these people because we have been corrupted at every single layer. You know, like everyone wants to point to the ruler on top and blame the ruler for everything. But I'm like, well, the reason we have a Biden or a Trump, you know, again, I, you know, I, I see it as equal poison one way or another. Maybe there's a lesser of two evils, but I see this as as equal. There, bottom line is we have a lot more moral, intelligent human beings that could be president right now. Regardless of where you fall, there is a lot there's a lot more smarter people out there who are more virtuous, have better ideas, and think of the world in way more complicated terms. But I think, and my theory is, is that we kind of are picking the lesser of two evils instead of the greater of two goods. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, someone was telling me not too long ago that, you know, they were surprised at a certain presidential outcome. And I told them that what's more surprising is that that person was picked by the people. Right. Yeah. Because if the person is picked by the people, that tells you where the people are and tells you what the people are like. You know? Yes. Yes. Because um, I, I honestly think that like, and here's one of the things, I'll give you an example of how a corrupt society leads to corrupt leaders. I'll give you a perfect example. Please. Let's just say we had a person that was running for president that had a doctorate, a PhD in, in economics, right? And they were not the most articulate guy or gal in the world. You know, they, they weren't the most articulate, but they knew their stuff and they knew their stuff really, really, really well. And they had solid, I'm talking rock solid plans to help this country. Because our society has been corrupted against listening to wise people, right? Like we, th we think our society has been mentally brainwashed and mentally corrupted to listening to wisdom. We would find that person boring. We would be like, Bore, oh, I don't, I can't listen to this. I can't listen to this, 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 like, I can't listen to this person on the news or whatever. It's like, they're boring. So that's an example of us being corrupted as a people that, 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 that the corruption is so strong within us as, as a people that we we cannot even listen. We don't have the attention span and we don't have the tolerance to listen to someone with a doctorate who might be able to like have the solutions that our country needs. And instead we are, you know, the, the corruption forces us to like vote for the person that plays the guitar or just is catchy or, you know, is very charismatic. And that's an example of corruption right there. If our leaders are more charismatic than they are wise, that's a signal right there that the society has been corrupted right off the bat. Yeah, it's, it, it, it illustrates uh, an unreasonable society. I was talking to my wife a couple of nights ago. We had just seen the film Beasts of No Nation. And it's um, basically a film about child soldiers. And what you find is that the leader of these, you know, the commandants, as they call him, was a charismatic lad very you know very upbeat very you know um well spoken to could you know grab your attention with a speech or a story and basically get these young men to do whatever the hell he wanted but it wasn't by reason he was just a man of passions he was a man who could manipulate your passions and joyfully and happily express his passions in a way that made you feel something you know and this is this 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 is the kind of these are the kind of leaders we're looking for. And I and I realized this this that movie made me think one thing. It made me want to totally reject passions. It made me want, it made me want it to be the most reasonable man I know, because to be anything less seems almost 
unkind. It seems, it, it, it's just, it doesn't seem right. But this is, you know, this is how politics operates. Politics are not, is politics, they call it political science. It's not, it's really not. It's, 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 the, it's, it's, I don't want to call it an art because art has reason. This is, it's like the political drama. It's a political drama. The Greeks used to um, call it rhetoric. Like they would just straight up call it. Like not, they just would just straight up be like, "That's rhetoric." That's, it's just, that, that, that it is. Name, that was their name for it. <laughs> it is rhetoric. It's just some guy standing up there, pounding the desk, speaking passionately, and everybody's taking off their shirt and saying, "I'm going to vote for you." It's like, but yes, but what did he say? Mm, yeah. What did he say? My friend told me this story of a young girl he had coffee with, telling him something about a certain pastor explains certain things in the Bible in such a way that her mind was blown. And he was like, okay, sure, whatever. Tell me what he said. And she was saying it and it was all nonsense. And my friend said, okay, but you see that this is nonsense. And this is what she said. You weren't there. It was the way he said it. Whoa, whoa, man, that I know so many people like that right now. I, I think of like all of these people at political rallies or, or in any of these things on the left or on the right, it doesn't really matter to me, all the same. All of them, you ask them, well, ma'am, what do you believe in? Uh, well, we're here for blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, they'll, 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 they'll tell you one or two sentences. You ask one follow-up question, one follow-up question. Uh, well, I, I really, really like the energy. I like the energy of this place. I like, I like, the yeah. ener- right. They always, they always speak about the energy of, of the place. And then that, that, that woman that you just described reminds me of just that she sees the pastor. It doesn't matter what that pastor is saying. It could just be a bunch of jarbled nonsense. It could be blah, 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 blah. And, and as long as that energy is there, the passion is there, then people are are sacrificing themselves but what that shows in order for that to happen there must be a corruption of the wisdom of the society to get to that level yeah absolutely you 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 basically have to make people like like or close to being animals you 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 have to take away some part of the humanity you have to you have to distract them with food you have to you have to treat them like animals really for them to um to become like this and it's not you know it's not like it's not the, the it's not the obvious way people think oh you treat a man like an animal by flogging him and making him sleep in his own shits and uh, you know every now and then you take him on a walk a nice walk no no you 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 there's a different way to do that you can make a man like you can make you can turn a man into an animal by feeding him you can turn a man into an animal by giving him a certain schedule you can take turn turn a man into an animal the way you um making decisions for him and making him think it's okay to make decisions for him there. And, and all these things are beautiful. You know, the man is like, Oh, the, 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 at least a senseless man sits there and says, Oh my goodness, I've, I've got an easy gig here. I just sit down, get fat and watch a uh, family guy. Sounds great. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know yeah, what? but you're losing so much. I like that you use the word animal because I, th- th- when you use the word animal, what immediately popped into my head is the book of revelations which talks about like the mark of the beast you'll notice the word beast beast you know animal-like tendencies right and you know obviously the word beast is like a a sort of a synonym for like antichrist like behavior but that's you know i'm not i'm not taking this on a metaphysical religious level here but what i am saying though that there is a you know if we're just looking at as let's just say we're assuming that the book of revelation is just a piece of literature or mythology let's just let's not let let's not take it to like the highest level right now but if we just think of it that way i think that book is giving us some wisdom that like the devil or the great evil will come in the form of man's passion that's that's how that that's how we'll be corrupted into doing things that we know are not right because we'll be so passionate and if you even think about hitler himself his 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 what he was saying probably appealed probably if you actually look at the if you made a list of the things he was saying there was probably zero percent truth in anything that he was saying 
it was all the passion. It was all beast-like animalistic passion that got people to do all of these like god-awful things. Um, he was a very charismatic speaker, a very powerful speaker, and which is what he's pretty much known for today. But here's the thing is you can, you can, you can appeal to a man's passions to get him to do something immediately, but not, it's not going to last in the long run. He's going to run, but he'll get winded because he's, how you say, he's running for no reason. But if you appeal to a man's reason, it's harder. It's harder to appeal to a man's reason because, first of all, you have to know what the hell you're talking about. And second, he has to be a reasonable man. And if you appeal to his reason, you have changed a man's life. You have changed the way he sees the world. He's going to run for the rest of his life because he has reason to run. He has a reason not to stop, you know? So passions gets us much quicker to what we want people to go, a vote. That's all. That's what we want. You know, you want the girl to go to the dance with you? Passions. You want your kids to take out the trash? Passions. You want your employer or employees to do a good job today? Passions. You know, you rile them up. You want the team to win today? Passions. But if you want them to do it for life, something must touch their reason. Meaning must meet meaning. I full heartedly agree, my friend. Um... Okay, let, let's let's kind of backwardly dissect this. Maybe if we if we work backwards, we'll be able to kind of figure this out. Mm. You and I are both highly reasonable men. Would you say that that's a fair? Right? I mean, yeah, it's hard for us. We're biased, but let, let's just say that like if if the next passionate guy comes and gives a speech, we're not going to their valley, right? We're we're pretty skeptical and pretty like. Eh, I'm going to sit this out. I'll listen to it the next day on the news and make my mind up about, right? So there's that like error of skepticism and caution that both of us kind of have. How do we start cultivating more reasonable human beings? Because I, I think that something, something is fundamentally going wrong in, in the child rearing process that is producing children which are highly passionate but lack reason. So what is it but what's the missing link in either our parenting or in our education system that is producing an entire generation that is very passionate but lacks reasoning? Well, I think that a lot of parents are passionate people. And it's this now we must ask is the you know chicken or the egg situation. But let's let's start with the um, let's start with the chicken. I think that the, um, sorry, with the egg, I think that the parents are incredibly passionate people. And because they're passionate people, they raise their kids to be passionate people. And this is a continuous cycle over and over again. Now, every now and then, and this is, but here's the thing, so says, well, you know, I, I've seen kids and, you know, come from passionate families and they've turned out okay. What? Great. That's the 1%. That's that's that one kid every hundred years. The rest of them are not turning out that way. The rest of them are not that, you know, not that special. Okay, so parents parents really need to get a handle on passions, on those on those emotion. You know, talking to someone who said, uh, you know, I think we've talked about this last time, how parents often don't want to stifle their children's imagination. And so they let them do and say and think whatever they want to say, think and feel and so forth. It's like, no, kids often don't really know what to feel. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to think, you know, and they're looking to you. And you don't have to tell your kids what to think. You can teach them how to think. But a lot of parents don't even want to do that because it seems... If anything looks wrong to the average parents, it must be wrong. If it just looks, if it has the appearance of wrong, you talk to your kids, the kids, you know, uh, you're talking to a friend of yours and your kid's screaming in your ear, mom, 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 mom. And the mom turns around and says, are you insane? Why don't you calm the hell down? I'm talking to my friend. You come in this conversation, you come second. Because I started talking to her five minutes before you walked into this room. Let me finish my sentence. And you can come back, right? So, oh, well, that's terrible, mom. You must be horrible because kids always come first. That's the American way. Well, it's no, 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 it's not. Because in that situation, she's right. It looks wrong. It looks harsh. It looks unkind. 
But that kid just learns something. Just they know their place now. Next time the mother is speaking, they walk in. Hopefully, they walk in and they wait. You know, and things like that. I think that there's just so much. There's not enough reasonable approach to raising children to abandon or deal with your emotions adequately. Yes, I, I think I think you're exactly right. I think that it ultimately comes down to parents that have been primed or conditioned to react in in very outrageous and and very passionate manners, right? Like like I, I'm even thinking of just like the way that we celebrate milestones like oh my god my kid walked or what you know everything everything is of a very explosive caliber everything is fireworks like oh my god you know my kid failed this oh my you know oh my god every everything is like everything is like a pending disaster right like every every minutia thing that happens to us is is oh the, this is the end of the world right and everything everything is very reactionary and that probably comes from our media and so forth uh, we can't control the media right now. The media is going to put outlandish garbage out there, you know, for all, you know, yeah. there's nothing we can do about that. However, I think what would really help is if parents, if, if people who are parents right now and are listening to this, you need to start adapting. You need to start looking, I think, into Buddhism and Stoicism and look, looking into philosophies or re religious systems that suppress or, or I don't want to use the word suppress. Suppress is a very bad word, but allow you to kind of control the passions in your life and think more logically. And I think Buddhism and Stoicism, there's actually, um, I was actually having a conversation about Stoicism uh, with someone a few days ago. Uh, I think it was, yeah, Alexander, right? And he was, t he was explaining to me, the, the goal is not to suppress your desire, like not to suppress and repress it and just keep it bottled in, but to have an awareness of it. And then when you have an awareness of it, be like, oh, I'm feeling really angry right now. Oh, I'm feeling really fearful right now. Just have that, that basic level of mindfulness. And then you can't control how it is that you're feeling. If you're worried about something or you're really excited or elated by something, that's okay to feel that. But then you have to be in control with the way that, that manifests. And if the parents are not, don't have internal discipline and they're panicking and celebrating, panicking and celebrating, the child is feeding off of that, that passion-based model of behavior. And that's yeah. going to make them more susceptible to corruption. Yeah. So basically raising children who have, who cannot think for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the old saying, if you don't do it, it's going to be done for you. Absolutely. We, we, we also, I mean, there's so much that we, you know, it, it's hard. And I, I like what George, you know, I was watching this debate, actually uh, listening rather to this debate between um, Zizek and Jordan Peterson. And I, I like the way that, that Peterson described like the fundamental need, like the media cannot be changed at all, right? They're, they're not going to change because they're going to do whatever it takes to get money. And this goes back to conversations that we podcast that we did months ago about like everything comes down to sex and money, right? So the yes, media, sir. the media and our leaders will never change because as long as they're making money off of our passions, they'll continue doing what, you know, what it is that's going to make them profitable. There's, there's nothing yeah. that there's nothing that can do. We as a society though, have to start resisting. We have to start resisting and stop, stop watching YouTube videos, stop watching media that riles up our passions and basically shut that crap off. And, and, and then once that, once that garbage noise is out of our system, right? Like, like once we've taken the detox, we've, we've had a process of detoxification, we can now approach the world without these like polar crazy passions and, and, hopefully raise children that 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 don't think that way i think i think i think that's all that we can do like the the apparatus will never change but how we interact with the apparatus is what's under our control yeah that's that's incredibly right i think that you know it doesn't it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter where it doesn't matter where you are it doesn't matter what's you know what situation you're in it depends so it so excuse me i i made a mistake when i first spoke it's it does matter who you are in this in the true sense not who you are in this superficial sense, but in the true sense of who you are in the innermost, you know, chambers of your heart, the core of your being, who are you? Are you a person that is thoughtful? Are you a person that is easily tossed back and forth like a, like a reed in the wind? 
-hmm. you know or are you are you strong are you stable do you know what do you know what you know do you um are you wise now this this actually you know and maybe maybe our our you know I, i don't maybe your view has changed a little bit on this and that is i think it's it's our social obligation like the, the role of you and i sir you and i and and anyone else who is of the enlightened i know enlightened sounds so pretentious but let, let's just say the like the, this realization anyone who's come to this realization as to what's going on i feel as if we have some obligation or some duty to start awakening eh, people. duty duty right <laughs> <laughs> I needed that right now. Okay. I, I, I was, you know, like, like, again, like you can't, you know, like there's a danger in taking yourself too seriously. And when you start taking yourself too seriously, you need a, a poo-poo joke to, to break it down. Right? You, need a little, you need to step in a little poo-poo and laugh at yourself. Otherwise, uh, otherwise you're going in a, you're going too dangerous. Um, right. Thank you, sir. Thank you for just uh, raining me down there. <laughs> Let me just take a deep breath here. Right. Okay. Uh, Please go right. on. Yeah. Stepping off my high horse and getting on my pony. Okay. Like... <laughs> Shoot low text. They're riding Chetlands. <laughs> All right, all right. All right we, we have a we have a responsibility to to kind of start letting the folks know, hey, you need to stop engaging, you know, in this media. You need to stop in, in, engaging in these like really, really, really damaging things that are kind of riling up your passions. And on one hand, if we come across as the preacher, everyone's going to kind of hate us. I'm, I'm wondering if there's a way th- that we can start communicating with the masses but isn't isn't in this like ultra preachy pretentious way of like i am beyond television i'm beyond beyond memes and reddit and uh-huh, yeah yeah i, I don't want to i don't want to come off as that so i'm wondering like how, how we can fundamentally change human nature without how how to talk to people without coming off as pretentious or something because i think i think on one hand we need to educate people but then there's always that danger of, of coming off as like, you know, the next cult leader or something. And that just scares people away. And rightfully so, you know, you don't want to sound like the next cult leader or whatever. So I'm wondering yeah. if there's, if there's a way that we can actually educate people, explain to them, Hey, the media, what you're reading in the New York times is riling up your passions and making you act irrationally. Here's how we can fix this without sounding like some kind of preachy, you know, new age guru. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. And so my opinion concerning that, I think is basically still the same, my good man, at least for the most part. First of all, I think it's possible. I think it's very possible to speak to people in a way that isn't condescending or isn't, you know, um, preachy or isn't wroth with self-importance, but actually gentle and kind and so forth. But I think it begins with actually being gentle and kind and so forth, you know? So that when you speak, it's no—it's not a matter of your—it's not a matter of, you know, having to, you know, um, control yourself. You just naturally don't have anything to control. You're just—you're just a pretty chill, pretty wicked guy. Now, even then, people are still going to crucify you. Let me tell you that because if there's anything you know, the life of Christ has taught us is that it doesn't matter how good you are they ain't gonna listen Mm. and if you're lucky they might shoot you not crucify you so i think that's i i think that people are generally there people are generally willing to listen for a little bit until you you know step on their toes because everybody's like you know you say yeah we need to uh we need to wear more blue shirts all the blue shirts guys like yeah more blue shirts yeah (laughs) And like, yeah, we need to wear more red shirts. All the red shirts gather. Yeah, more red shirts. And they say, you know what? We need to just get rid of shirts altogether. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, maybe. I think I think you're onto something here. And and this is why I love talking with you so much is that you have a way of of like unpackaging intense, like intense roles of wisdom with love and humor. 
and, and in a very down to earth way. And not many people, you know, that I've talked to are able to do that, right? Like they, they're kind of like me, they, they, they fly up to heaven, and then you get shot down, right? Like, like, you just like, whoa, 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 guy thinks he's better than us, right? And that's really what it comes down to is that like, we have a, a disdain for people who think that they're better than us, or if they're, if they come off as too preachy, the masses say, oh my God, this person thinks th- th- this, like we're all primates, right? And in the chimpanzee hierarchy, if if a chimp that doesn't deserve it stands on the tallest rock, the other chimps are going to tear that chimp off that rock and be like, you know, like they're going to rip him down and throw him on the ground and be like, how dare you? How dare you stand? You haven't earned to stand on that elevated rock above us like this. But I think there might be a way where if, if we're more casual and more light on the touch, and, you know, I'm like, aha, yeah, that's funny. Did you see that movie? Oh, yeah, you know, but by the way, stop watching so much TV. Aha, you know, like, like there's like a way, <laughs> there's like, like a cool kind of slick way of, of like putting in that messaging without becoming, you know, without like asserting yourself as, the, <laughs> you know, as the uh, yeah. primate yeah. that's going to get torn down or, or like you said, the ultimate consequence of not, if you don't have a more tempered approach and a more laid back and friendly approach, you do get crucified. Yeah. And I think Jesus is the ultimate, um, you know, the, the, the ultimate embodiment of that. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus. And then second, second to that is Socrates. Yes. His, yes. Yeah. His, his demise was quite the same. Um, so no, I understand. I understand what you're saying. And I totally believe that it's a real possibility. In fact, you know, I think that's so just like, so the, if, if, if we're looking at it uh, as a hierarchy or some sort of gradients, we say that, okay, the, the world needs to learn to think. And then we go up and say, okay, not just to think. Now those who learned, have learned to think need to learn to think rightly. Okay. Then we go up and say, okay, not just think rightly, but live rightly. Okay. Go up and say, okay, all you who are living rightly, be right. Say, Okay. So it's like a, it's like a gradient. So, the, you know, the philosophers are still part of that gradient because the philosophers often are the people who are thinking. Yeah, right. And the people who are, and not many of them are living what they're thinking. I can tell you that much, you know? And so the philosophers, the philosopher's goal, or should I say the philosophers, before the philosopher becomes the preacher, and every philosopher at some point needs to become a preacher. And I, and I mean this sincerely, because the philosopher needs to preach to his kids. He mm. does. He does. That's so. Well, that's patriarchal bullshit. Well, it works. It works. The pro, the philosopher needs to preach to his kids, and if maybe the mom who is the philosopher, she needs to do that too. Sure. You know, because <clears throat> because there comes a time when all your wisdom needs to be, you know, at least verbally translated to another, so that because it's it's not going to take by you know osmosis. They're not just going to soak it in. But sometimes it sticks every now and then, and you never know how you're going to encourage, you know, and 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 change and train and change the lives, the, tra- the trajectory of your children's lives, and not just your children, but neighbors and so forth, those who will listen. So I do believe that philosophers at some point need to preach. But before they preach, they need there's something needs to happen in them. They need to pass their own milestone, and which is to live what they preach. They need to be filled. If if you're if you're a preacher of kindness, you better be one hell of a kind guy, you know. If you're a preacher of you know self control, you better be darn right self controlled yourself. If you're a preacher of um, passionless reason all the way, you better be that. And so I think it's it's for philosophers the the trick is really them living, primarily them living what they what they think, and then. You'll see often, you know, a friend of mine who's been a pastor for years says that one thing that he's noticed is that he says that people usually come to him and say, hey, man, okay, so what they do, oh, he's the, he's actually the the pastor, at, at, not the pastor, but the, uh, the, the host of the big house, it's his house. And so the big house is the big house society, it's a place in Moscow, Idaho, where people come, I'm talking every single day to have conversations of all kinds. Is cannibalism a good thing? To does God exist? To you know, as soon is... as COVID's over, I'm flying there. I'm going to the big house, man. <laughs> you know, and you'll be more more than welcome, more than welcome. I mean, give give them a call even because you know there might be a room and board for you. Wow. So there's 
he his house is always open 247 that means anybody can walk in at any point to smoke a cigar and chill at, in his library and chat with him if he's there so his life is a very open life and because of that, people have gone to see how he lives his life. Now, this guy is a very fascinating guy in that he's a very strange man. He's a very peculiar man. I've never met anybody in my life like him. But usually young men like me walk up to him and say, hey, you know, at some point um, they ask, why is your life like this? Why are you the way you are? Because it's incredible. How do you do this? Right. And then he tells them, he says, well, this is basically how I live my life. That's where every philosopher wants to be. And he actually, he will describe himself as a Christian philosopher, a social Christian philosopher. So that's where every philosopher wants to be. In that somebody says to you, I've seen, like, I'm looking at your life, man. It's incredible. Like, you don't, you don't seem to be half as crazy as everybody else around me I mean, like what kool-aid are you drinking so I, I would say that that's that's usually that's usually the trick and, and that it doesn't last long because they still kill you but it, it, it's usually the trick that's really that's a beautiful insight kenny thank you it it reminds me of um one of the first podcast episodes i did with claire um, you really win people by leading by example rather than preaching and i think i think the gentleman that you just described that runs the big house basically as a walking embodiment and i can't wait to one day meet this guy in in the sense that he's not outwardly being like look at me look at how i live look look at my look at my 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 bookshelf right he's not he's not telling everyone look at my bookshelf you just happen to walk in his house and notice geez this dude's got a lot of books on you know on his shelf <laughs> yeah. and i think i think that 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 that's that's something I could learn from, man. I actually think that 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 is a very very valuable lesson. Is, is how how maybe maybe and you know I, I assume this guy is is considerably older than us. So maybe the fact that he has developed a track record in his community of like, listen, this guy has been living in that house for thirty years. Not one time has the police ever been there. Not one time has the guy ever been drunk. Or you know, like all of these years have gone by, and not a like. I think maybe having that flawless, and I mean absolutely, you know, like you know, like white glove inspection, flawless lifestyle, is what really get changes people because. Maybe you have to get to this 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 level of of behavior where you no longer have to tell anyone anything. They're they're begging you. They're begging you for the answers because they see they see what you have is so darn valuable. Yeah, people love being happy. I've noticed that. Uh, I don't know anybody in this world if they didn't have a million dollars who wouldn't work hard as hell for a million dollars. If you told them that a million dollars was the price for the happy pill, mm -hmm. like this pill that would make you really happy for the rest of your life, it's not a drug. It's just natural. It just can you take one pill and you're just happy all the time. Right. Nothing brings you down. People really want to be happy. And when, when they see another human being who is naturally and genuinely happy, people often pretend to be happy, but it's, it's, it's very obvious that they're not. But when you see another human being who is genuinely happy with their life, it's fascinating to watch. And we want, we want to know what the trick is. We want to know what the juju is, what the voodoo is, what the, you know, what, what dance, what tango are you dancing, you know? Yes. Um, I yeah. can't believe we've gotten this far without doing like an episode called what is happiness. Like I actually, <laughs> I'm like, just, I'm just like, act, like man, I, I'm writing these things down. I, I think we made some awesome progress. I don't, you know, maybe we didn't solve all of the world's problems, but this was some great progress, my friend. Like, I, I, I think, I think I definitely feel like, like our last episode, you know, took us in a dark corner, but I feel like we, we're not out of the tunnel yet, but I, I, I see some holes in the tunnel and I see some sparkles of, of light that we could start yeah. walking towards. Uh, my friend, thank you again. Thank you for having me, my good man. This concludes the 86th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Now I'm Aaron Azrod.